We do have to remember that this is a system that we're fighting. We need to fight the system, not the systemized. Hate the game, not the player. Uh, and if we're looking at solutions and ways to move forward, if the solution doesn't cater for some, then it's not a solution. If it's a solution that leaves some behind, then it's not a solution. Hi, plant friends, and welcome to another episode of the PBN Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Lockie. On this week's episode, we are throwing the spotlight on a fascinating, important new feature documentary called Milked, which uncovers the disturbing reality of New Zealand's dairy farming industry. Joining me is the film's co-producer and presenter, Chris Huriwai, who embarked on an investigation across New Zealand, focusing on the destructive impact that animal farming is having on the environment. In the documentary, Chris is featured alongside Susie Amos Cameron, the former actress turned environmentalist married to Avatar filmmaker James Cameron. We are thrilled that Susie, one of the film's executive producers, joined us in the conversation. Also playing a big part of this conversation is Keegan Kuhn, the co-director of the award-winning documentary Cowspiracy, and another executive producer who worked on Milk 2. As a film that is promising to follow other influential and critically lauded environmental documentaries from the last few years, Milk reveals behind-the-scenes reality of the Kiwi dairy farming fairy tale. It uncovers alarming information about the impacts of the dairy industry on the planet and our health. I hope you enjoy this episode and the film when you see it. Please do let us know what you think about it in the comments. And as always, if you do like this episode, please don't forget to comment, like and share. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It really helps get the message out there. Let's get to the episode. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us on the PBA podcast. I'm very happy to see your beautiful faces today. Uh, obviously, to kick things off, let's uh, do some introductions, and I'd like to pass the mic over to you, Chris, to uh, get us started. Kia ora, Robbie. Uh, thanks so much for having me here. First off, I'd just like to start our opening with a short karakia. Tukua te wairua ki a rere ki ngā taumata, hei arahi i a tātou mahi. Me tā tātou whai ngā tikanga rātou mā, ki a mau, ki a ita, ki a korea e ngaro, ki a pupuri, ki a whakamaua, ki a tīna, tīna huie, tākie. Kia ora mai tātou. So that's just a short karakia which for Māori people particularly, we like to do before significant events. And for me to be here this morning with you all, Susie, Keegan, Robbie, it's just an absolute pleasure. So thank you so much. Uh, it's great to be here with such incredible advocates for the plant-based vegan and environmental movement. Ko Chris Huriwai Toku Ingoa. My name is Chris Huriwai. I'm from Aotearoa. Uh, most people know this place as New Zealand. Down under, as they say, close to Australia. I am the co-producer and I guess the protagonist of the film Milked. Unfortunately, our amazing director, Amy Taylor, couldn't be here. But um, yeah, great to be here with you all. So thanks for having me again, Robbie. Amazing. Great. Thanks so much. Keegan, over to you. Uh, my name is Keegan Kuhn. I am one of the executive producers on this new groundbreaking film, Milked. I'm also the co-director of the documentary film, Cowspiracy and What the Health. Thank you for joining us. Last but not least, of course, you, Susie, please do introduce yourself. Yeah, thank you, Robbie. I'm so happy to be here. And Chris, I always love to hear those intros. They're so beautiful. So yeah, I'm Susie Amos Cameron. And after being interviewed for Milk, I sort of fell in love with the idea of it. And the message is so important, not just here in, in New Zealand, where I'm living now, but around the world. And um, for people to be able to understand the detrimental effects of dairy, not only on our land, but also on our bodies. And um, I am honored and I was so pleased to be asked to become one of the executive producers on the film. And um, I also executive produced a film called Game Changers and authored a book called 
OMD for the planet. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. I'm really happy to be here and to be speaking to you guys. Dairy was a normal part of life growing up in New Zealand. I started the day with milk on my wheat bix and never thought twice about it. So it's been a journey coming to understand that milk isn't the wholesome product we're led to believe it is. It's not beneficial, not required, associated with lots of diseases. New Zealand's like your beautiful friend that's just got cancer. I didn't know any of this. Let's move on to our first question, and it's just regarding this journey and how it all began. Chris, if you just explain to us, like, why did you decide to create this film? Ooh, yeah, so when we look at the dairy industry, um, I'd say, especially in the context of Aotearoa, it is the industry that's blowing out into so many different areas. When we look at the destruction of animal agriculture, dairy industry is the biggest one here in Aotearoa in this country. So because it's blowing out into all these different areas, environmental issues, health issues, of course, what the animals are going through. Uh, for me, it's also a question of uh, institutionalized racism. Um, we hear similar stories from Dr. Milton Mills, for example, about um, the American um, dietary recommendations. We have similar a similar issue here in Aotearoa. We have um, milk um, recommendations in terms of dietary allowances. And for Māori and Pacifica people, um, they have, of course, higher levels of lactose intolerance. Um, so it, it breaks out into that uh, aspect as well. And, of course, um, for our farmers, uh, it, is, it is becoming quite a toxic and uh, a volatile industry. We have a lot of farmers who are suffering under the leadership of the uh, industrial leaders of the industry here. Um, so it gives us a big pool of experts and advocates to dip into. Um, so we thought a film specifically about the dairy industry um, would make an interesting film because there are a lot of activists, a lot of experts already speaking out about it. And of course, we've got uh, the amazing Keegan uh, and his team with Cowspiracy. Dairy had not been touched on yet. So we thought it would be a good place for us, uh, a good time and place, considering we're known for producing dairy. We're the world's largest exporters of dairy products. Um, so who better to tell that story that's not been provided yet? People are dying, and it's all for the sake of making money. This industry is not working for anyone. We've gone down industrial agriculture big time, and we've got industrial-sized emissions. Farmers, but the system that they're caught up in is totally flawed. And looking back, it's like, well, we were duped. You guys are going up against the biggest industry in the entire country. I never considered that my life could be threatened by exposing this industry. Oh, that's when it really, truly hits you what's going on. Industrial dairying is this country's biggest polluter. They are the most inefficient food production system on the planet. There must be an alternative. We need a whole new way of thinking. Do you think we're putting our future food security at risk? Keegan, regarding kind of the, the actual making of a film, you produce some fantastic pieces yourself. Talk us through the process of making sure, you know, your support for a film like this is a success. What is it? What are the vital ingredients uh, for a documentary that really like hits hits home to people? You know, I think what really resonates with audiences is the hero's journey. And this film does that. You know, it follows Chris on this journey as he starts to uncover the true impacts of dairy on Aotearoa, but also around the world. And so 
I think that's something that makes audiences grab onto. It's a, a guide that can walk them through the whole process and reveal the information in a tangible way. And Susie did the same thing with Game Changers. You know, it follows a protagonist. And I think that's what is one of the key ingredients to have a successful film. But I think it's also combining, you know, a hard hitting facts with a sense of humor. And I think Milk does that really beautifully. It, there's enough lightheartedness to keep the film moving while dealing with a deadly important subject. And Susie, uh, over to you, like, tell us a bit about like the, the reasons why you got involved in this film. We said you interviewed for it, but you know, emo- from an emotional perspective and being someone who's passionate about plant-based yourself, what are some of the motivations behind backing something like this? You know, after, because when they asked me and I said, well, why don't you send over the, the rough draft of it? And I just have this, it's like a, a hit that I get or a, a gut instinct that I get. And I just found it to be so incredibly emotional and, you know, funny bits again. Um, I think the thing that really hits me and a lot of documentaries don't have this is they'll give you doom and gloom and you walk away from the documentary going, oh my God, we're all going to (laughs) die. Yeah. So there are solutions, you know, being a very solution oriented kind of person. I think that was the piece that I thought, great, because that's what the farmers need, not just here in New Zealand, but around the world. They need solutions. It's great to be able, it's, I mean, it's the same sort of idea around OMD. It's great to tell people to go plant-based. It's great to tell people to quit farming dairy, but what are they going to do? And are they going to be able to make the same amount of money or, or more by pivoting and switching to something else, which is something that we've experienced on our farm here. So you and James and your family were doing the thing that so many of us are are doing, like eating organic, healthy, making sure your beef was grass-fed and your chickens are happy when they're laying those eggs. Exactly. And feeling good about your contribution to the planet and what you were doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had been running in environmental circles forever, it felt Mm -hmm. like, decades. And... um, yeah, we were eating everything organic. We even had our own goats up on the ranch in, uh-huh. in uh, Santa Barbara. So we had goat yogurt and goat cheese and goat milk. And we just thought we were doing everything completely right. And then we watched Forks Over Knives. And when was that, 2000? 2012. 12. 12, so it's been seven years. Yes. And it completely changed our life. I think what we call, call it over here at Plant Based News is constructive journalism. You know, when we tell stories, it's usually about the where, why, who, what, when. And that's the type of thing that we see in the news. And it usually focuses on the negative, doesn't it? It's always about the doom and gloom or the doomism, as some people are talking about these days. You go you go on Instagram and you end up doom scrolling. And it's just like bad news story after, after bad news story. But constructive journalism is about the who, why, what, when, and also the what next. What are the solutions to the problems that we face as a species and as, an, and as a planet? We are a, a global community, even though, you know, the Earth may seem huge to some of us it's actually a very small place it's a tiny little speck of dust floating on the cosmos and the sooner we as human beings learn to kind of work together to, tr- to create change the better but on that on that kind of point about sort of working together and, and sort of creating this project I'm interested really about like what shocked you most Chris about making this film because obviously on this journey you learn a lot of things but what is it what is the one thing that really stood out to you being the most shocking that you really wanted people to, to to really stick with people 
The most shocking part, I guess, is just the breadth of issues. When we started putting the documentary together, I knew we would have to cram a lot into a single film. Yeah, it was just the the breadth of it. There was so many things that had to be left out of the film. A lot of things that are quite hard to communicate and as well, a lot of things around the whole doom and gloom subject and some stuff, especially around what happens to animals um, that we had to leave out of the film because it's, it's, it's just too heavy. We really did try to focus on the lighter, uh, more solutions-based uh, side of things as well, of course, including a lot of sobering truths that needed to be told, but simply the breadth of issues. There are so many uh, far-reaching, and, and including international issues that our national global uh, our national industry is impacting on um, that we couldn't include um, i'm not saying there's going to be a milked too but yeah just the fact that we had to leave out so many important things uh, was the hardest part for me kia ora koutou, chris here and in today's video we're going to be talking about the advertising tactics used by the dairy industry on our kids and their parents and why i think companies like fonterra should be implementing a responsible marketing policy let's get into it Let's start with Dairy NZ's adorable little mascot and her website, Rosie and Rosie's World. Rosie's World is a dairy-funded website where kids can dress up their cows, play all sorts of games, enter competitions, win prizes, and learn facts about the dairy industry. Facts such as, did Moo know that from the air the island of Cuba looks like a crocodile or alligator? Among the facts on this website that children can learn, you won't see things like the New Zealand dairy industry being responsible for more greenhouse gas emissions than any other sector in New Zealand. You won't see facts such as that the dairy industry uses the equivalent water of 58 million people, or that to produce milk in New Zealand, over 2 million bobby calves are killed every year. Keegan, regarding kind of greenwashing, you know, you've obviously you know, looked at these things in other documentaries. This is such a powerful tool that industry uses. In your opinion, what's the difference between deliberately misrepresenting the facts or ignoring facts or, or just barefaced lies? You know, do you think a lot of these industries, they really know that they are creating these lies? Or do you think there's a lot of you know, really just clueless people? What are your thoughts on, on greenwashing? Yeah, I think it's really apparent that these industries know how destructive they are because a lot of the facts and statistics both used in milk and in cowspiracy come from the industry themselves. So we're publishing on and broadcasting their own studies. And so they, they know how bad their industry is. They know what ecological damage it is. They know what it's doing to people's health. And so it is just outright lies. Um, they are at very least hiding the truth and they are you know incredibly powerful industries so they have the ability to put pressure on media to not publish on these true impacts both the human health animals and the environment and we see this because anytime you know i'm sure chris you're dealing with this around press with the film but if you do any sort of media or if i'm asked to do media around any of my films mainstream they always say well we need to have a representative from animal agriculture come in to counter it and i'm and i usually say yeah that's fine you know i'm more than happy to debate somebody on in media, I said, but every time you have somebody from the livestock industry on, do you have a vegan on to balance it out? And of course, it's no. And it's and it just kind of illustrates the power that this industry has on the information that we receive on a daily basis. Chris, what was the most shocking greenwashing that you've seen so far? Ah, uh, it's hard to pick one in terms of greenwashing. I mean, the the dairy industry here in Aotearoa, I'd say they specialize in greenwashing and propaganda. Um, they do have some just outright lies. But they're also very slick 
I would say, in terms of the way that they phrase things, the way that they know people are going to misinterpret X, Y, Z. They, of course, will design studies to get outcomes that they want, and they will talk about those instead of the, the, the plethora of other studies that are provided by independent specialists. Uh, I don't know. I don't really know where to start, to be honest. But for me, one thing that really hits home for me is they're starting to incorporate a lot more te ao Māori, aspects from the Māori world, which is part of my culture. And they're really starting to, I don't know, they really want to embed themselves in the identity of this country. And so they're starting to take on aspects of the Indigenous culture of this country to further embed themselves and make themselves part of the landscape. Um, but everything about their industry, if you ask me and if you ask a lot of people in the Māori community, everything about their industry is going against our tikanga, our ancestral ways of living, uh, our intentions that we like to put into things, our values that we like to put into things. They're just completely trampling all over uh, that tikanga, that way of life. And so to see them now inserting these aspects of tikanga Māori, Māori ways of doing things. Cultural appropriation, Chris. It's exact, it's, it's cultural appropriation. Yeah, you guys have that term as well. It's cultural appropriation. The cultural appropriation of this industry is incredibly high, and they like to put themselves in schools, nutrition bodies. They're very powerful in terms of our politics and legislation. Uh, and they have more money to, to post those greenwashing propaganda studies than any, any other institution. So... Yeah, it's it's a big issue here, that's for sure. One and only Arnold Schwarzenegger. I ate a lot of meat. They showed us commercials. Steak. That's what a man eats. Selling that idea that real men eat meat. Serious man food. But you got to understand that's marketing. That's not based on reality. Susie, uh, regarding kind of documentary filmmaking and you know being producers on on films like the the Game Changers, of course, which came up against huge kind of criticism that it was propaganda and that it was like vegan greenwashing or you know that it was just all full of like cherry pick studies as advocates and as creators you know how do we stand a chance against these multinational companies because i got many friends who are creatives and you know who want to do more who want to reach more people but they feel very disillusioned by the power of these industries you know what do you have any Sort of suggestions of hope that we that we have that you have that, that keep you going and continuing to do the work that we do. All I know is what happened with the popularity of the film. Just one example. So Google Analytics, you know, the search for plant based has kind of been like inching up over the years. You know, definitely on the on the rise, but not a huge rise. The week that Game Changers dropped, Google Analytics saw plant-based food, vegan recipes, you know, anything to do with sort of the how shot up 350%. So, um, and, you know, it is the most watched documentary uh, on Netflix and Apple TV. You know, I mean, the proof is in the pudding around that. They can say all they want, but uh, guys, you know, it's guys want to have big muscles and those people out there that have seen it, They want to have really great sex, too. (laughs) When I made the switch to a plant-based diet, I qualified for my third Olympic team. I broke two American records. I was like, man, I should have done this a long while ago. When I went plant-based, I wasn't sure if I was going to survive. And I actually became like a machine. 
One of the biggest misconceptions in sports nutrition is that we have to have animal protein to perform at a high level. That's just not true. Sometimes you have to do things that you know your competitors aren't doing. Today's blood and yesterday's blood. I think this is going to wake a lot of people up. I was recovering better, not getting as sore. This was our best season in the last 15 years, and we had 14 guys on plant-based diets. We all want to feel great, have more energy. Cholesterol was 276. Today, 169. Whoa, now you're talking. Most guys my age can't keep up with the grandchildren. My grandchildren can't keep up with me. It's not one set of dietary guidelines for improving your performance as an athlete. Another one for reversing heart disease, reversing diabetes. It's the same for all of them. Someone asked me, how could you get as strong as an ox without eating any meat? And my answer was, have you ever seen an ox eating meat? You know, and it was heavily researched and we worked with, you know, multiple doctors. So the, the science is there. So what you're saying is essentially keep on, you know, doing the work that we're doing and don't give up hope because when we put our work out there, when we create these, when we give birth to these books and these documentaries, you know, they are so well received and, and, and the, the facts are on our side ultimately. Yeah. I mean, you know, strength is in the numbers, you know, Keegan, what you came up against with Cowspiracy, you know, so we all stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. And the more we're putting content out there, the more we're talking about it. When we went plant-based in 2012, there were not a lot of people talking about just the health aspects of it. You know, vegans were sort of these ethical vegans, hippies, you know, that sort of thing. The word vegan is not a naughty word anymore. And plant-based, you see it in advertising all over the place and the big food companies are jumping on board because they realize it's not just a trend. What change do you hope to see happen in the world? Mm, gosh, that, that's a multi-layered mm. change. Um, however, I think that it does happen. I think there's, there's something that happens when you go plant-based. You know, not only do you have all of these health benefits, your taste buds change. I mean, mm -hmm. every everything changes, but I, and you have this clarity that happens, this energy. And I, I've talked to so many people that have gone plant-based, and I do, I do think that it, it almost takes you to a, a level of being more open and being more awake. Yeah and being more conscious. On every level. On every level. Like when you start being conscious about what you're putting into your mouth and how you're eating it and where your food comes from, it also makes you more aware and more conscious of other things is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yes, exactly. Yeah. It's the food of the future, which is really exciting. I mean, it's really shifted dramatically over the last couple of years, even. It really is. Uh, there was a bit in the film going on to sticking with the point of greenwashing was the bottle made of plant-based plastic that contained, yeah. I'm literally like you know, face palm. You know, we, we've got it here in the UK where you have like brand, brands saying this is a plant-based burger, but it's actually, when you look at the, the packaging, it's actually half beef, half plant-based protein, but they're using the word plant-based to attract the flexitarian stuff. And I, and I get what they're trying to do. Less beef is better for the environment and all of that, but it's still kind of like a, 
you know, rather than making those changes to a fully plant-based burger, they're, they're sort of still hanging on for dear life. But moving moving on to, to sort of threats around making the film, and I know, Keegan, if you want to touch, touch a little bit about your ex- personal experience of being threatened or if you have had any threats making your previous films, is there any kind of anecdotes you can tell us about that? And then we'll go to you, Chris. Yeah, you know, when we made Cowspiracy, there was obviously major pushback from the industry and there was pushback from ranchers, um, what the health as well. And, you know, my co-director, Kip Anderson, and I, we we both received death threats. Um, but in this day and age, who doesn't get death threats, right? So It's a badge um, of honor. Yeah. <laughs> and, but, you know, working on Milked, that was one of my concerns for Chris and Amy was that to be aware that, hey, look, this is a very serious issue that you're going up against. It's a very powerful industry. And you have people who are personally and financially invested in it. And so they're going to be very aggressive potentially about this film and about you all as individuals and come after you. And and I want filmmakers to know that. I want any activists to know that, that that's a real thing that does happen. But that's not reason to be scared off from doing it. It's just to be aware. And, and I think that's an important part and a responsibility that we have to other fellow activists is that like make people aware of what the reality of talking about these things are. That being said, you know, you, you do rigorous research and you back your film up with science. And so when people do critique it, you can just go back to the science and say, look, this is what facts tell us. And, you know, you can have the game changers incredibly well researched, incredibly well backed up by science. And then you just look at, yeah, the pushback that that film got, but all the pushback that that film got and all the pushback my films have gotten have just propelled the conversation forward. Because if people are talking about it or if they say, oh, well, that's just vegan propaganda, well, they're still talking about it. And so then they go, yeah, well, I need to watch this film and see what it's about. And truth be told, they see it and they go, oh, actually, this is just full of truth. And the the pushback that you get is, again, you just look at who's funding it, who, where's the money coming from. And it's, again, just pushing an industry that isn't interested in truth, isn't interested in justice or environmental stewardship. It's interested in making money. Thank you for that. Really good advice. Chris, regarding kind of, you know, threats, are there any specific ones that, that stick in your mind or, or any experiences over making the film that actually made you question whether you should continue or not? I've been... Speaking out against the dairy industry for a fair while, I've received various threats, including death threats, on other projects. I'm yet to have one for Milked. It's not publicly available, so we'll see what the backlash is once it's out there. But for me as well, it kind of reflects, and it's, it's amplified, of course, and how it is to be in this day and age, just as a vegan, uh, and the type of discrimination and general backlash that we get from members of the public, maybe our friends, family, co-workers. But when you're being a whistleblower, speaking out to the degree that we are in the documentary, that's that's going to be amplified. It's not just that they are in, an incredibly powerful industry, biggest company in Aotearoa, Fonterra. It's not just that they're big and powerful. It is also because these farmers are put under a lot of stress this is their livelihood. A lot of them are deeply, deeply indebted to the industry, financially constrained. Yeah, this is their livelihood. A lot of them may not even watch the film. They'll just hear that there's some guy out there um, trying to ruin their industry. Mental health is an aspect that we touch on in the film. Our Kiwi dairy farmers are often very isolated. They work very long and hard hours. They have uh, minimal support from the industry in terms of guidance, in terms of counseling, mental health. Uh, And so largely, it is a sensitive place to be talking about anything that might be causing disruption. I have to be careful 
Um, I'm mainly thinking about my friends and family, my partner. I've never once thought that this type of threatening attitude would stop me from making the film or being an advocate. Um, it kind of just highlights the need to talk about it and to find uh, constructive ways to have conversations and dialogue. Um, but yeah, getting the message out there is more important than anything else. And that's what I've held on to during this journey. The next question is just regarding kind of, you know, following on from what you said about mental health, especially with the farmers. I was really shocked by the fact that 167 farmers took their own lives in New Zealand last year, which is which is terrible. There's, you know, there's a clear human cost here. And I think many people say that animals are not the only victims of the animal agriculture industry. In your sort of journeys, Susie, like, you know, how do you feel about this? Because, you know, the vegan community can be very... I want to say aggressive, I'm going to say aggressive, can be very aggressive about our movement, about our message. And sometimes that message forgets about the human aspect of our societies, right? We are very much focused on saving the animals, saving the planet, but we don't really talk enough about the human cost of these horrific industries. I just wanted to hear what you thought about about that sort of, that aspect of things. Definitely. I mean, I think that the journey that that I've been on when we first went plant-based. Yeah. We were up on our soapbox telling everybody because we literally did it overnight. We ended up watching Forks Over Knives and that just like, you know, propelled us. 24 hours later, our kitchen was all cleaned out. No problem. And then we went everywhere and told everybody that they needed to be vegan (laughs) and that it was so great. And we had so much energy and it was so great for our health. And we made these bags full of books and DVDs and we sent them out, out to all of our loved ones. I, I think they, you know, they probably chucked them in the rubbish bin. <laughs> Seriously. It was not received well at all. A few of our friends actually did go plant-based with us kind of overnight. Um, but I would say the majority of people just thought that we were these, you know, crazy liberal people out in California, you know, kind of thing. And when we, um, the school that I founded, Muse School, so it became the first plant-based school in North America because it's an environmental school. We go from two years old all the way through 18. And my sister and I and Jim and I looked at each other and said, "Can't we can't be still serving animal products and call ourselves an environmental school. And out of that, our head of school got very frustrated with the families and said, people, you can eat what you want for breakfast and eat what you want for dinner. It's one meal a day. It's OMD. So that's what propelled me to write my book. And that's what opened the door. It's like, just dip your toe in. And the environmental savings of just swapping out one of your meals a day is enormous one person swapping out one of their meals a day for a plant-based meal for one year saves 200,000 gallons of water and the carbon equivalent of driving from Los Angeles to New York. That's just one person. So, you know, you multiply that out, but then all of a sudden, you know, it, it, it went from being, you know, this kind of like aggressive, you know, hardcore vegan to being something more, open and more of an invitation. And I always, I'm getting back to your question and that's just some background, but I always say to people, you know, it doesn't matter. There's so many, so many boxes that it ticks. It doesn't matter if you're doing it for the environment, if you're doing it for your health, if you're doing it for the animals, 
if you're doing it to lose weight, if you're doing it, if you've seen game changers for your sex life, we're now in a pandemic. Pandemics are created by the exploitation of animals. So it, it really ticks all of those boxes. But I don't, I don't think that people really look at the psychological side of, you know, not only the dairy farmers and, you know, what they have to go through taking the babies from these mommies right away and basically putting them in a rubbish bin, you know, but you think about pig farmers, you think about beef farmers and, you know, what they have to go through. You know, we know that the people that are, you know, in the, in the beef industry, very many of them don't eat it because they can't. It's, they've seen too much. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. So it's, it is a problem. It's really sad, you know, because these, these people that are, that are suffering, men and women, they have families, they have children. The fact that, you know, some of them are taking their lives, a lot of them, actually, you know, it's devastating. Thank you for that, Susie. Chris, regarding kind of that experience of making this film and hearing those stories, you said previously that you've been going after the dairy industry for quite a while now. And I, I imagine when people see, when people are new vegans, as you were saying, Susie, you're very angry about what's happening to animals and the injustices. And we do feel anger. We want to direct it at the farmers, direct it at the dairy farmers. After making this film, Chris, has your kind of compassion towards the dairy farmers increased now that you've kind of spoken to more of them and heard their stories? Definitely. It's been building, I would say, but being welcomed into their homes and getting to know some of their families through doing these interviews. Um, you know, one of the farmers, uh, his wife is vegetarian. The um, minister for agriculture here, he's got two vegan daughters. I mean, you can tell that there's a bit of conflict within the family there in terms of what they're their farmer parents are doing. You can tell that there is a lot of emotion in these households and they probably have a lot of discussions about what happens to these animals and what and what goes on. But yeah, being welcomed into their homes and getting to know their families and having them talk to me about the crippling debt that they have, the volatility of the market, the unsurety that they have of their careers and being able to have future livelihoods really reminds you that us as a vegan community, as activists, we can often be quite reactionary and uh, we would benefit from taking a, a broader, more holistic uh, bird's eye view uh, of the situation. If we were to do that, we would understand that these industries, these industry leaders who have been leading a lot of our farmers in the direction that they're in, in terms of Aotearoa, in terms of intensification uh, and further negative welfare aspects for animals, you know, they've been led there by their industry leaders and they are indebted to the point that they are because of decisions made by industry leaders. Any attempts to encourage further diversification into alternatives for our farmers is often met with pushback from industry leaders. So we do have to remember um, that this is a system that we're fighting we need to fight the system, not the systemized, um, you know, hate the game, not the player. Uh, and if we're looking at solutions and ways to move forward, if the solution doesn't cater for some, then it's not a solution. If it's a solution that leaves some behind, then it's not a solution. So I would just encourage uh, vegans, the activist community, to take that broader uh, look at society, 
at our food production systems as a whole because it's it's not as simple as just watching earthlings and thinking that farmers are these terrible um, emotionless senseless individuals you know they've been part of the system this way of life for a long time uh, and we need to take that into consideration when we have conversations with them about solutions absolutely well you read my mind because that's the next question which is about what are the solutions you know there are dairy farmers across the planet many who are probably desperate to get out of the seven day a week 4 a.m starts what could they, you know, in your travels and your experience with this film, what are some of the things, that, especially down in New Zealand, what, what can farmers be looking at to, to move away from dairy? Mm. So I don't want to give away too much of the film, but we're incredibly lucky and very, very privileged nation here in Aotearoa. We have some of the most fertile soil in the world, uh, and we are known as food producers and specialists in, in, in agriculture, not just animal agriculture, but also in horticulture. Uh, and, and, and vineyards and fruit production and whatnot. So there is a plethora of alternatives in terms of food production. It's just whether or not the industry leaders want to make that difficult step of unembedding themselves in the system um, to look for a more sustainable uh, future. Uh, and that, that's a big, big, big conversation. A lot of people would argue, and I would agree, that as a global community, we're already producing too much food. We need to be working on uh, food distribution systems rather than finding more ways to continue producing more food. Because we know with plant-based foods, if um, Aotearoa farmers were to transition from animal agriculture to plant-based agriculture, we're going to be producing like 15 times the amount of food that we're currently producing. Is that what we want? It's a, it's a difficult one, um, but yeah, the thing here in Aotearoa, farmers need to start transitioning quickly uh, because it's going to be the early adopters who move into um, sustainable forms of plant-based horticulture uh, that are going to be the ones in front. And unfortunately, because of industry leadership and the way that farmers are indebted into this industry, it is going to be difficult for them to transition, and that's why I would advocate um, for government bailouts, government support for our farmers to transition into alternative careers. Turning to you now, Keegan, regarding uh, the pandemic and zoonotic diseases, three out of four infectious diseases in humans actually come from animals. We've just, well, we're still in the midst of a pandemic. Do you think that films like Milton, other documentaries, are starting to shift the global mindset with regards eating meat or eating animal products, or do you feel like we've got a very long way to go? Yeah, I think people are waking up to the fact that the current pandemic and historical zoonotic pandemics have come from messing with animals, um, both domesticated animals, but also the wildlife trade. I'm a producer and writer on a film called The End of Medicine, which is looking at this very subject that should be out sometimes later this year, uh, early next year, and about how this is the problem, right? We're going to not, this won't be the last pandemic we see if we continue to mess with animals. But are people waking up? I don't know. I think that mainstream media has failed to talk about this and it's been really shifted upon independent filmmakers like Chris and Amy to do films like this, like Alex Lockwood and I for doing this pandemic film. And we just have to get this into the conversation because I think people can't make informed decisions unless they have all the information, right? And so getting this out is, I think, the biggest hurdle. It's incredibly powerful and it's incredibly devious. Zealand, 5 million cows are a lot more important than 5 million people. Water is going to be the next gold, and if we don't look after the water, then all of us will perish. 
The dairy industry are just shuffling the chairs on the Titanic. And we need a new boat. If you consider we're on this little ball, this little beautiful planet of ours, we have a choice as to what sort of impact we're going to make. Final few questions, over to you, Susie. At the end of this film, there's a lot of um, focus on the benefits and talking about what we can be doing. What does the future of humanity look like to you? If we can wave a magic wand and create a world where, you know, we live in harmony, what does it look like for you? Well, I think in a perfect world, because it, it's, you know, it, it's, um, it actually it has been proven that people that are on a plant-based diet have less aggression. They've done research within prisons with plant-based food. But in a perfect world, in a really, really, really perfect world, um, everybody would be eating plant-based. I don't, I don't think that that's um, realistic to think about that which is, you know, again, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but which is, you know, one of the reasons why I am constantly out there pushing the idea of one, you know, swapping out one of your meals a day, OMD, because it does make a huge difference and it does offer people opportunities to just try it out. People feel better just with swapping out one of their meals a day. So then they try two. And so many of them kind of, you know, then there's a, a tipping point and, um, and go all the way. But I think, you know, it's um, when you were talking about vegans getting angry about, about things, what I'm seeing more than anything is the youth. They really are stressed out and concerned about the land and the, the world that they're going to be inheriting. The Gretas of the world are out there. And they're protesting and they're, you know, yelling at, <laughs> at the top of their lungs, you know, for people to listen to them. And I think it's really frustrating for them that, you know, the grown-ups that are making a big mess won't listen to them and won't, won't make differences. I do have great hope mainly because there are a couple of organizations on, on the mission board, an organization I, I it's called imagine.one. And I also sit on the, the board of Live Kindly, which is a new plant-based company. What I'm hearing and what I'm seeing are huge organizations, corporations in the food industry that are really, really looking at, they've, they've had that sort of cognitive dissonance around what they're doing. Mainly it's becoming, it's come from their children. You know, it's like, mom, dad, do you realize what you're doing to the planet? And they're actually, you know, making big changes in big corporations, big food industry around creating more plant-based food, but also looking at the supply chain going all the way back to the farmer and to the soil, taking care of the farmer and taking care of the soil. So I'm witnessing this. Um, I joined these organizations last January, and I don't know how many times I've had tears streaming down my face, seeing these people not as, you know, CEOs or not as heads of these big organizations, you know, these big amorphous things, but as human beings and what their fear is for their children. There, there is change happening and happening, you know, on a big scale. 
Um, we're not seeing it completely yet, but we will start to be seeing it. They're, they have to look at their bottom line. The good thing is, is that because plant-based eating and plant-based lifestyle has come into the mainstream, it only helps them. It only helps them. So the, the beef and dairy industry will, will suffer because of that. They will also suffer because of the cell-grown meat and the uh, fermentation of you know creating milks and things like that. What we don't know, and that will be good for the environment, but what we don't know is what that will do to uh, the health of human beings and our health system. Thank you for that, Susie. Yeah, we'll touch a bit on uh, precision fermentation in a bit, actually, because I want to hear your thoughts on that. But I'd like to pass the mic back to you, Chris, regarding your kind of view of the future. Are you hopeful? Are you not? Like, where do you see, you know, our species going in the next, you know, few decades? Oh, man, why do you got to ask me that? <laughs> no, um, it depends, right? I mean, uh, I can imagine lots of communities all over the world popping up where people are living um, in, in, in more alignment with their natural landscapes. Um, whether or not those living under, you know, say, for example, here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, we live under a, a colonial landscape um, where the dollar rules, the environment comes second, uh, and until this colonial system of domination is cut away from, we're not going to be living in the type of way that we should with the natural world. But I have hope, of course, like what Susie is saying in terms of the next generation coming through. Um, we do see a lot of them suffering because of the daunting thing that is upon them. But there are so many bright, shining lights that shine through. Uh, and it's, it's our job uh, to nurture those flames as much as we can. They are the leaders of the future, of course, and there are, there are a lot of them. So we have to get out there and support them as much as we can. Uh, yeah, but yeah, depends what day you catch me on, right? Because all of us, <laughs> we've seen the belly of the beast in terms of industrial power. It's going to take a lot of, a lot of hard work. Um, but I don't do this work because I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I just, I just do this work because this is uh, like what Mike Joy would say. He's one of the scientists in the film. This is our rent that we pay for staying on this planet and for existing on this planet. Activism and advocating for a better way of living should be the rent that those of us who are able to pay to continue existing on this beautiful planet. Amazing. I absolutely love that. And I'd love to hear what your thoughts, Keegan. I get a feeling like you're the eternal optimist. I don't know why, but what, <laughs> what's your what's your view of, of the future? Uh, uh, that's funny. I am quite the opposite. I've been an activist for a long time and I've struggled a lot with with hopelessness. I used to have a sticker that said, once I gave up hope, I felt a lot better. And the, this, the truth is that I have zero hope for the future. I look at what can I do today? What can all of us do today? And where's the impact that we can see today? And I know for a fact that by living a vegan lifestyle, I no longer support killing animals. I know that I'm having a small ecological footprint. I know that I'm fighting against the social injustices that exist in animal agriculture. So I don't think about the future. And I, I don't think about and get emotionally invested in it because I feel like I'm going to be let down because I have been let down. And so I just stay very present. That being said, things have changed. Look at human history. Things have changed radically. Human slavery existed for virtually all of humanity. And then in a very short period of time, virtually around the world, human enslavement ended and people said enough. 
And even though we'd been doing this forever, so I think it's very possible that we could get that same place with animal agriculture, that I think people will continue to eat animals, people will continue to kill animals, but the industrialization of animal agriculture, I think will come to an end because people will say enough's enough. There's enough hungry people, 800 million hungry people in the world while we grow enough food to feed 12 billion, people are gonna say enough's enough. And so I do see the change happening one way or another. And and I think it's happening very quickly. I've been vegan for 25 years at this point. And wow. in 25 <laughs> years, <laughs> in 25 years, you know, I went from there was one type of plant-based milk in the United States to now you can go to virtually, you can go to convenience stores in the United States today practically and get plant-based milks and have a plethora of, of mm. companies and types of plant-based milks you could get. So it is rapidly accelerating and alternatives are becoming more mainstream. So I do see it changing in a, in a really incredible pace Amazing. and that, that is the future. But as far as hope, no, no hope. I'm just going to keep doing the good work. Well, I think that's really good advice. You know, sometimes I think that we need to keep our eyes in, in front of us and one foot at a time because we, we are living in troubled times. And to be honest, you know, humanity have been troubled from the very first day we set foot on the savannas. Probably we were destined for chaos. But, you know, we are. I, I do have hope because I feel like as long as there are people like the three of you out there fighting for change, there is hope in this world. You know, people advocating and educating and inspiring and empowering people, it is absolutely hope for change. And one of the things that gives me hope is precision fermentation. This film is about the dairy industry and precision fermentation, in my opinion, will absolutely destroy the dairy industry, the earth over. But obviously it needs investment, it needs support, it needs uh, consumer acceptance. Just a bit of a pricey from for the listeners, Precision fermentation is, is essentially programming microbes to produce animal proteins. This is an animal-free food. It is not animal protein, but it is in kind of encouraging pro uh, microbes to produce animal proteins. And then you can make milk, you can make cheese, you can make yogurt, you can make any kind of dairy product that you love and like. The health side of it obviously is questionable because we know, you know dairy and casein and all these saturated fat, etc., are not great for human health. Health is still a choice, I think, but you know people will always want to eat cheese and milk and dairy, and and if and if people are going to want to eat those things, then surely it should come from this technology. But I would love to hear what the three of you think. Susie, you've been uh, you mentioned that you're on the board of Live Kindly, the Live Kindly company. It's a very big plant-based food company that's done big things across the world and been working with lots of plant-based brands. What are your feelings about things like precision fermentation? Well, it, it all comes back down to, to health. And the fact is you can still walk into a doctor's office, many, many, many doctor's offices and say, gosh, I'm anemic doc, what should I do? Well, you should go and eat a big steak a couple times a week or maybe every day. Gosh, doc, I've got osteoporosis. What do you think I should do? Well, make sure you get three servings of, of dairy every single day. And what we know from science, what we know from our plant-based doctors is, you know, the, the bioavailability of iron from a piece of meat is not as great as bioavailability from plants. And we also know too that eating animal products and dairy in particular, creates and causes osteoporosis and things like that. 
it's not the doctor's fault because they get maybe an hour to five hours, maybe 10 hours of nutrition in all of their training. You know, these, these doctors, the plant-based doctors that have broken out they're they've, you know, broken out of that mold, made their own discoveries and done their own education. And now, now there is actual education out there for doctors, but a lot of them just don't know. I mean, I don't know how many times I've had new moms come to me and say, I don't really know what to do. My doctor's making me feel really bad because when I, you know, I don't want to feed my child milk when, when I wean her, but my doctors are telling me that it's, it's close to child abuse if I do. So what do I do? It's a multi-pronged issue. Our healthcare system is, is being taxed everywhere in the world. To tell you the truth, you know, through the China study, you know, a 40 year research project, what they realized was the affluent, they called it affluent disease because they were able to put meat and dairy on their tables. You know, all of the, all of the people eating a peasant diet, a plant-based diet, they didn't have heart disease and diabetes and cancers. It's been around for a long time. It's just, it's just not in the mainstream anymore. And it's not an affluent disease anymore. It's quite the opposite, you know, because you can get a hamburger for a buck. So do you feel the precision fermentation might be a bad idea then? Do you think that it, you know, obviously we know that dairy has a negative effect on people's health, but dairy is so addictive. You, you know, people are obsessed with eating cheese because of the way it, 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 it acts on our bodies and our brains, getting people off these things, weaning people off. You know, we weaned off our mother's breast, which is obviously hard enough for our mothers. And then we're placed on the cow breast, cow breast milk, which, which they, we're then addicted to for the rest of our lives. But, you know, we're obviously dealing with so many issues here. We're dealing with environmental collapse. We're doing, dealing with, you know, a, a human health catastrophe, tsunami of ill health. And, of course, the, then there's the animals as well, which are absolutely being obliterated. The wild animals of our planet and 4% of our biomass. Precision fermentation, obviously, you know, is a, is a jumping step, a jumping point away from a very destructive industry. But, it, you know, I hear you. It, it definitely from a health perspective, it's probably not going to be a good solution. But, you know, I think there aren't any, as far as I'm concerned, you know, obviously dairy is a, is a, a very, again, a very addictive thing and getting people off it is tricky. But I mean, what do you think, Chris? Do you think precision fermentation is a solution or do you think it's really dancing with the devil and making it even worse? Uh, yeah, lots of things that I could touch on. It's definitely a solution to the current food system. But in a way, it's perpetuating the current food system. It's almost like a silver bullet type thing. Uh, like we could go the realm of lab-based meat when we already have incredible uh, plant-based options available. We don't need to be pumping billions and billions of dollars into something that we already have a solution for. But in saying that, of course, uh, if you are a consumer that wants to be consuming that exact same thing, and if you are a business that's going to be selling something like this, uh, it's a great swap out. The environmental benefits of uh, precision fermentation in comparison to traditional cow-based products is is huge, hugely beneficial. And of course, the animals suffer far, 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 far less. I think, you know, what they've got to take a couple cells. And I'm sure there's degrees of animal testing that takes place. But in terms of 
uh, the benefits for the animals. If we were to do a complete switch to precision fermentation over dairy, it would be a, an amazing solution for them. But like Susie says, you know, the casein, which will be created through precision fermentation, is linked with deleterious health implications. For me, that essentially backs it up in a way because that that we're going to be able to tell the, to the consumer that this is essentially a complete replica the same of thing. what you like to eat. It's just as bad for your health. Good job, you know? Uh, and so if you're looking for the exact same thing, it's it's going to be perfect for you. That's a great ad. <laughs> but but our, our food system is completely broken, like I say. So we are, to a degree, finding ways to perpetuate a broken food system. But my main point that I would touch on this one is that this disruption is coming no matter what. I wouldn't say it's depending on consumer acceptance. You know, If it's the same price or cheaper uh, and has less impact on the environment and doesn't have this ethical question about harming animals, I think it's going to be a no-brainer uh, for consumers. And from what I've heard from those that I've interviewed from Rethink X, they're telling us that this is going to be a complete business-to-business -business disruption. You're not even going to be aware as a consumer that the chocolate bar you're eating or the potato chips that have the milk powder in it is now going to be uh, made through precision fermentation. It's going to be a complete business-to-business -business disruption. Just an ingredient, right? Like any other ingredient, but not from animals. Well, they're calling it animal-free foods. But um, over to you, King. What are your thoughts about these sort of technological solutions to? And this could be, you know, cell-based meat, cellular agriculture, or precision fermentation. Do you think that these are the silver bullet, as you said, Chris, to to end animal agriculture, or do you think we are stepping into the abyss here? <laughs> you know, I I think that they predicate on this idea that we're supposed to eat animal protein, and as any lifelong vegetarian or vegan would tell you, well, clearly we don't need to. Um, but do I think they're great transition foods? Totally. Just in the same way, like, you know, Beyond Burgers are amazing. They're not a health food. They're not good for you. But they're incredible at transitioning people away from a standard, you know, European-centric diet, right? The standard American diet or a diet that's heavy on meat. And so I'm in, uh, a fan of them in that respect. I think that's great. Cool. Awesome transition food. Um, but getting back to a whole foods, plant-based, earth-based diet, I think is the real solution. Robbie, I want to just jump in really quickly because you said something. Cause it, I mean, and what you guys said, I mean, it definitely ticks two boxes, right? The environment and it takes the, the environmental piece of it and the animals. What we don't know yet is what is the footprint of growing cell-grown meat, lab-grown meat. We don't know that, number one. And number two, you you made a point around the, um, you know, how addictive dairy is. And I don't think people know that. I experienced it, you know. I mean, I still today, I'm like, can somebody just make a yogurt <laughs> that doesn't have coconut in it? That's got the same consistency and that sort of thing. But people don't understand there are casomorphins in all mammals milk it's what keeps the baby coming back to the breast or the teat or whatever it is it actually allows the the baby to thrive now once the baby's weaned the baby doesn't need any more milk from mom or any other mom so if you're growing a uh, a human baby call it seven pounds to 18 20 pounds by one year right? So that you're making your, your milk actually consists of a certain amount of casomorphins and the consistency changes 
not the consistency, but the, the makeup of the casomorphins, it, it, yes, it, it, it changes as you're heading towards weaning, right? So you make less and less casomorphins for them to be addicted to. If you're growing a cow from 60 pounds to 600 pounds, it's laden with casomorphins, which is why it's so addictive. That's why they tell you to drink a warm glass of milk at nighttime because it will knock you out. So then you think about, oh, okay, so you're going to concentrate that down into yogurt. So you're getting that much more. Then you concentrate it down to cheese. So a little block of cheese is basically like morphine. It's like a little... Casein bomb. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a little piece of morphine. You know, that's the piece that people don't realize because they're like, oh my gosh, it's so, I just have so many, you know, I just crave dairy. It's like, well, that's why it's a drug. That's why they make it mandatory. I don't know about here, but they make it mandatory in the States to serve it at every single school. And when the children don't drink it, they turn it into strawberry milk or chocolate milk. So it's now full of sugar to make it even more addictive. Susie, do you think that if precision fermentation and with focus on that does become mainstream, that these products will need to have health warnings on them, like the cigarettes are cigarette boxes that people still like to smoke. They know it's killing them. They know it's um, damaging their lungs and potentially causing cancer. Do you think they will need health warnings on them? You know, I, I can only hope. I can only hope, you know, like Chris mentioned, you know, you're not going to know whether it's, you know, the the milk powder that's on the potato chips or, you know, an ingredient, I just hope that they will, um, that somebody will push back and say, Hey, I want to know what kind of milk I'm having because no one really knows what the effects of the silk grown meat and the, um, the precision fermentation milk, they don't know the effects on the human body yet because it hasn't been tested. No, not widely used. Great scale. And people are investing hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars into this technology. And nobody knows. I mean, the people that I've spoken to who work in the industries have said from a molecular perspective, it's exactly the same. So if it is exactly the same, it'll have the same damaging effects. It'll have the same negative effects. What they have said is that they they theoretically should be able to dial up and dial down the amount of casein, the amount of saturated fat, the amount of protein, etc., in these foods, which gives a little more control. But at the end of the day, we're dealing with food industries. Their focus is profit most of the time. You know, very few big food conglomerates are focused on human health. They really care about the bottom line, ultimately. But that's all we have time for. I'd like to sort of wrap us up with some sort of more practical questions, which I'm going to aim at you, Chris, is, number one, where can we watch the film? Not that question. Unfortunately, um, it is only premiering and screening here in Aotearoa. Um, for a start, we are currently working with a distribution, an international big um, in, uh, distribution agency uh, to help us get in front of as many people as possible. But unfortunately, I got no good news for people. I got no dates that I can give in terms of when it's going to be available. We're just uh, fingers crossed at the moment in terms of this agency getting it in front of as many people as possible. Uh, so just follow us on our social medias for updates. And uh, as soon as we know, we'll let everybody else know. Stay tuned to Plant-Based News because we will be the first to let you know when it's coming out, where it will be. So, yeah, if you are listening, uh, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and our newsletter, plantbasednews.org.
org forward slash newsletter. So um, one more final question is taking action. People who watch the film will be, you know, horrified, shocked, inspired, uh, motivated. What are some of the things that you want people to go away and do after they've seen this film? That's to you, Chris. Um, oof, big question. There's a range of solutions that people will find at the end of the film um, that we would love people to follow. A big thing that I'm keen on is political change. For solutions for our farmers and changing our food system, we need to take a political approach. We need to be engaged with our politics uh, because that's where, that's where change happens, unfortunately. I would love to see a grassroots groundswell takeover revolution, but we need to see people engaging with, um, with civics, with politics. We need people to make informed decisions um, when legislation is put in front of us um, so that we can vote in a way that's going to um, find solutions for the environment, for the animals, for our farmers, for ourselves. But of course, as well, um, one thing that has, it does have political push, it does have social push, is your own behavior change. And I know we talk about changing the system, not the individual but we all as individuals have an incredible influence on everything around us. I wouldn't be who I am today if there weren't things around me influencing me. And so that personal dietary behavioral shift is also incredibly important. And so I would encourage people, if the film resonates with you, if the messaging resonates with you, have a look at what you yourself are consuming. Uh, and if those products that you're consuming don't align with you and don't align with the message that you're resonating with, then consider making some changes. Consuming a plant-based diet or living a vegan lifestyle is an incredibly powerful thing that we can do to look out for other individuals and the planet that we all love. I have one more question for the three of you. Keegan, if you were stuck on a desert island, I'm gonna ask you all the same question. If you were stuck on a desert island and it was just you and a pig, if I could give you one vegan dish, one music album, and one book, what would you take with you? Obviously, you're not gonna eat the pig because you're vegan, but one music album, one book, and one vegan dish, what would you take with you? The Yeah, the one album would be an album by a band, Earth Crisis, which is the reason why I became vegan. Gamora Season Ends, which is a really powerful, heavy record. The book would probably be, gosh, that's a hard one. That's a really tough one. The vegan dish uh, would definitely be rice and beans because that's pretty much the majority of what I eat. In the book, you know, the I would say Gun, Germs, and Steel. That's a really powerful wow. book. It's a really important book. I love book. that book. And there's a lot of information to be gained from it. So those would be yeah, my three. It's incredible. I love that. One of my favorites. If I yeah. Sorry, if I could throw in, because people do ask that question, right? If you're stuck on a desert island. There's, there's three answers to that for all the vegans out there is um, what's the pig eating? So eat whatever the pig's eating. Two, if you've been vegan long enough, you don't have the enzymes to digest meat any longer. So you're just going to get sick and die anyway. And three, you throw the question back and say, I'll answer that question, but then you have to answer my question. What if you live on a planet with 300,000 edible plants and animals? Why would you still eat animals? And let them answer that. Amazing. Over to you, Susie. So what, you're on a desert island with your pig friends, one vegan dish, it really is difficult to uh, to drill down on that. I definitely wouldn't eat the pig. I just rescued a wild boar a couple of months ago. When I got him, he was one kilo. He, he's now about probably 30 kilos. And his name is Buster. And he's the cutest thing. And he's so smart. And he lived in the house with me. He lives outside now. He was fantastic. So... Um, Start with a dish. That's usually easiest. What's your favorite dish? 
miso that's full of all kinds of vegetables, mainly root vegetables, and um, hummus with raw vegetables. That's like my favorite thing in the world to eat. As far as a book, Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> I love that. I've never had that answer before. I love that, Susie. That's amazing. You That's can learn about one. a lot of different things. And um, yeah. as far as music is concerned, um, probably Enya. Yeah. That's a beautiful choice. And over to you, Chris. Okay, the dish, I'm throwing up between making it sound like I'm healthy or making it sound like what I really want. Um, so <laughs> if I'm going Whole Foods, I'd take a big plate of kumara. Y'all call it sweet potato um, with some avocado. Or I could, because I can have whatever I want, maybe like a big like triple cheese precision fermentation cheese pizza with Tabasco <laughs> hot sauce. And no one will know. No one will know but the pig, so that's okay. The album... I go back to my roots, My Chemical Romance, Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge. The book, I'm currently learning to speak Te Reo Māori, the language of, of my people. And so it'd probably be a book, um, maybe Māori Made Easy by Scotty Morrison, the blue one, which is like the next level up from the basic one. That'd be me. Thank you so much. That has been a fantastic, inspiring and uh, fascinating podcast. Thank you very much, the three of you. And one more thing, Robbie. I opened us with a karakia, and so I'd just like to close us with a karakia as well, if we're, if we're at the end here. Take it away, Chris. Oh, and yep, cool. So I'll just end us with a karakia. Nga mihi nunui kia Thank you all so much for being here. And me tato katoa, everyone listening, thank you so much for tuning in. I'll just close us with a short karakia. Unuhia, unuhia, unuhia te uru tapu nui ki a wātia ki a māma te ngākau te tinana te wairu i te aratakatū ko ia rā e rongo wakairihe ake kirunga ki a wātia ki a wātia. Ai rā, kua wātia, hau, pai mārire. Kia ora mai tātou, kia pai te rā. Have a great day everybody, thanks so much for having me. Kia ora. Chris, Keegan, Susie, thank you so much for joining us on the PBN podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so Thanks much. much. Thanks everyone for listening. I've been your host, Robbie Lockie, and this is the PBN Podcast. We'll be back next week with more veganism, food, fashion, animals, technology, and everything in between.